Yesterday, in his first full day in office, he released a nearly 200-page plan and signed 10 COVID-related bills. Among the new requirements, travelers into the U.S. from abroad must have a negative COVID test before entering. Masks also now mandatory on public transportation. In addition, the president created a new board to oversee the ramping up of testing and also ordered an increase in the number of federal vaccination sites. Over the course of the first two days of his administration, President Biden has signed, as of this recording, 17 executive orders. These range from re-engaging with the World Health Organization to reversing several key Trump-era policies, which in turn, of course, had been established by executive orders by President Trump, which reversed several key policies of the Obama administration, which had been established by executive order, which had reversed several key Bush administration policies, which had also been established by executive order. Now, all of this, I've got a pen and a phone governing, leaves me with a serious question about things. We'll get there. President Biden, as you may know, as I said, has made uh, quite a splash in the media, signing all these executive orders on the first day. It's quite the dog and pony show with the, the pens and the stack of orders and the whole nine yards sitting there. And of course, these were, in many cases, reversals of Trump era executive orders, as I said, which he also made a big deal about signing off on. It's it's almost like, well, I mean, I hate to say this, but I told you this was going to happen four years ago when everybody was all excited about the things that Trump was signing and, and the policies he was putting in place. I said, you understand that when Donald Trump is no longer president, whoever the next president is, and most likely a Democrat, it's just going to undo it all. It's not going to last. None of this is going to last. And the same thing is going to happen with Biden. Theoretically, if a Republican comes in in four years, they're just going to reverse it all again. It's, it's a little weird, isn't it? Some of the Biden executive orders, let's see, we have re-engaged with the World Health Organization. We've ended the withdrawal process from the World Health Organization. Um create position of COVID-19 response coordinator. Don't we already have that? Isn't that what Fauci does? We've rejoined the Paris Climate Accord. Saw an article yesterday complaining that, well, great. It's too late. It's all great that he did it, but it's too late. We're all going to die. So there you go. Of course, the Keystone Pipeline has been revoked. Ask agencies to extend eviction foreclosure moratoriums. That one is a, that's a touchy subject up here in the Seattle area, I can tell you that. Um, launch initiative to advance racial equity in 1776 commission. So Trump's 1776 commission, which was his version of patriotism, has now been revoked. And we're going to replace that with with. I guess the 1609 one, I, I, I don't know. Um, 
Let's see. Revoke order that aims to exclude undocumented immigrants from census. Preserve fortified DACA. I could go through this whole list. There's 17 of them as of right now. But again, the point I'm trying to make to you is all of these policies are simply President Biden undoing President Trump, who in turn was undoing President Obama, who was in turn undoing President Bush, who was in turn undoing President Clinton, who was in turn undoing first President Bush. You start to understand and start to see how and why the presidential election in particular has become so polarized because we have literally taken Congress's job and given it to the president. And nobody seems to bat an eye at this. These executive orders are... There's a lot of questions about them. There's a lot of discussion about them. And every, every time any given president signs one, the other side will say, well, that's unconstitutional. Is there anything in the Constitution that actually says the president has the power to issue executive orders? Not really. However, every president, with the exception of one, has issued them. Now, they weren't always called executive orders. For example, the Emancipation Proclamation of Abraham Lincoln is technically an, an executive order, but wasn't called that. Executive orders have been debated, argued, and discussed. And through a number of court cases, we've reached some agreements about what they can be and what they are. Number one, they must be supported by the Constitution. Now, what that word supported means is problematic, isn't it? Because again, two people can look at exactly the same words on the page of the Constitution and come to radically different conclusions as to what they mean. You have a right to keep and bear arms or not. It must be rooted, again, whatever that means, in Article 2. Article 2 is the executive. And Article 2's definition of executive authority is, well, by our standards, it's kind of lacking, isn't it? I mean, we don't really know precisely what that means. Or, and this is the big problem, this or. You see, if it was just rooted in Article 2 and supported by the Constitution, you could look at an order and go, what the heck are they doing? Who the hell came up with this? What, what's going on here? The problem comes in this big or. And the court's reluctant, question mark, the court's reasoning which allowed this big or to happen. Because the reason Joe Biden signed 17 executive orders, the reason why Donald Trump was able to sign his executive orders, the reason why Obama did and Bush did and Clinton did and Bush did and even Reagan, is because of that giant or, which is very simply delegated authority by Congress. If Congress in its infinite wisdom, as the repository of the will of the people, decides to delegate authority to the President of the United States, the courts have said, 
they can do that. And it's under that delegatory system that most presidents have justified their orders. Most presidents have justified doing things. Well, look, if you didn't want me to be in charge of energy, you wouldn't have given me the Department of Energy. If you didn't want me to be in, if you didn't want me to be in charge of justice, you wouldn't give me a Department of Justice or commerce or education or whatever. And it's that delegation which has led to essentially the presidential election now becoming far more important and impactful as far as national policy goes than the presidential election. Who the hell cares what my congressman thinks? Who, who cares what Derek Kilmer thinks about anything? He's just, he's just a, a rail-thin guy with slightly red hair who goes to Washington, D.C. On, on a subsidized self-ego trip and occasionally comes back and tells me what he's doing. BFD. The president, on the other hand, can sit down with a pen and a telephone and instantaneously change my life. He can instantaneously, with the signature on a piece of paper, he can decide how I'm going to pay my taxes. He can decide what I can say, what I can't say, where I can go, where I can't go, what I have to wear when I get there. Isn't that Congress's job? We talked about this all the way back in 2013 when we talked about the, the episode in Constitution Thursday, the cargo of the Brig Aurora, where Congress has the authority to declare war. It's only Congress that has that authority. But, you know, we don't want that responsibility. And back in the late 1790s, early 1800s, they passed bills that essentially made it the president, you know, presidential finding. If the president finds that France hasn't behaved the way we, we think they should, then the president can say, well, a state of conflict or state of war exists. We've seen that in modern times in the so-called War Powers Act, where Congress has essentially punted on its responsibilities to declare war and, and simply said, well, let the president handle it. We've seen this on legislative issues where issues of national policy are no longer debated in the halls of Congress. They're debated by presidential candidates who have a pen and a phone. And as soon as they're in the White House, they're going to sit down and decide, we're going to do it my way because I'm in charge of that department. Because Congress, the, 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 the big or, gave me the authority, they delegated the authority to the presidency of the United States to do this. And until and unless Congress decides that the legislative powers herein granted are still vested in the Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives, until Congress decides, this is our job, the presidential elections are going to continue to become even more polarized and more angry because of the power that's represented the literally the ability to take a pen and decide for 360 Americans half of whom didn't vote for you how things are going to be to punish those who opposed you to reward those who who supported you and every 4 or 8 years guess what's happened it's going to happen it's going to go right back the other way 
the big fiasco here isn't that Joe Biden is signing these orders. It's, I mean, really, it's what he was going to do. The tragedy here isn't what's happened in the presidential election. The tragedy is that we have allowed our Congress to allow this to happen by refusing to do its own job, which is to have the legislative power. They've, they've deferred and delegated so much of that to the executive that the executive now is no longer the president. He's no longer the executive. He's no longer the chief executive officer of the United States. He's the king of the United States that we just happen to elect every four years. And Congress occasionally, you know, bucks him, but... Realistically speaking, just like King George III, he can uh, he can you know kick back some things and do some things, and 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 we we've got you know 535 corrupt boroughs is what we have, and if the king decides that he wants to have a war against the people, he can do it. He all he's got to do is pay off enough Congress people to to be allowed to do this. This is what Brutus, the Anti-Federalist, was so afraid of. This corruptive influence of money, power, and human nature, which simply hands off dangerous authority to someone else. Get someone else to do it. I don't, I don't want to take that responsibility. Why should we take that responsibility when we can blame it on somebody else? And while your president and your party is in power, it's one thing. But when it's the other guy, well, that's even better. <laughs> and there will be, there will be mm, lip service paid to the idea that we should, uh, we should retake our authority. We should retake our legislative authority from Congress. But reality is it ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen because there's too much power, too much money involved here, which is, again, exactly what the Anti-Federalists were so afraid of. And we have managed to accomplish what they, what they feared the most. We have put one person, one man, or possibly woman now, in charge of everything. Going to war, how we spend our money, how we live our lives. And your vote for Congress is, is meaningless. Because they won't do their job. They'd rather, they'd rather have somebody else do it for them. And that's why executive orders are ruling our lives.